It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Presented by New York Lottery. Thanks so much for joining us. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. Multiple ways for you to interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring at 201-939-4513. Or you can chat with us on Twitter. Hashtag Giants Chat. You can also directly interact with us. I'm at Lance Meadow. One word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms every Everywhere, as well as Giants.com slash podcast. So we'll give you some of our takeaways from Sunday's loss to the Rams. We'll also look ahead to the matchup with the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday as this is going to be the first divisional game for Big Blue. Multiple things to cover, multiple opportunities for you to weigh in. And Paul, before we get into that, I think we should touch on Joe Judge had a conference call with the media yesterday before the team left Los Angeles to return to New Jersey. They actually decided, and Joe Judge announced this last week, even before the game, they were going to stay in L.A., review the film, have an opportunity for the players to regroup so that they won't have to adjust their internal clock, especially with another road trip only a few days away. And to me, the biggest takeaway that I found from Joe Judge's conversation with reporters, because he was peppered with questions about playing time. That seemed to be a big topic, specifically when Matt Peart came in at right tackle for Cam Fleming at the end of the first half. He was also asked about Ryan Lewis getting a number of snaps at the other cornerback position. And he pretty much echoed the sentiments, Paul, that he had been saying all offseason as well as the early stages of the year, which is they're going to rotate guys because of the youth movement on this roster. They want to give experience to players as much as they can in real game experiences, similar to also Shane Lemieux coming in at the fullback position or the extra offensive lineman in addition to playing Eli Penny. So it seems like that's been a trend across the board. Well, I think there are two things to keep in mind when you talk about this subject, Lance. Number one is that the Giants don't have such a terrific roster that they can start 11 on offense and start 11 on defense and say, you know what, you guys are just so good, we're going to leave you out on the field for most of the plays. I mean, let's face it, some some teams in the NFL are really lucky and they can do that. And they can have a sub package and sub out a couple of guys, but they pretty much know who they're going to go with for most of the four quarters every Sunday. The Giants are not that fortunate, okay? Let, let's, let's just put that right out there out front. But after that, okay, you're right. The Giants have a lot of young players who need development. And maybe instead of just throwing some of these guys into the deep end of the pool and saying it's time to sink or swim, by giving them a little taste every once in a while, okay, we're going to dip your foot in for a couple of games and give you five, six, seven, ten snaps. We're going to see how that works for a couple of weeks. Then maybe in a few weeks you're able to get more. And who knows? Maybe by gradually working some of these guys in, giving them live game action at some point during this season, those particular players may be able to challenge for a starting job or to wind up being the guys who deserve to have the bulk of the playing time. The third part to this thing, and I'm going to steal an extra item here on this topic, is that Joe Judge 
and Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator, have made it very clear from day number one that they are not concerned with the depth chart. They are not concerned with who gets to, quote, start a game. They are much more concerned with individual matchups, team matchups, packages, schemes, and if it means, like was the case two weeks ago when they had three different guys playing the right corner opposite James Bradbury during the course of the day, they will do that if they think that is their best chance to win. So I, 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 can't, I can't say enough how much I admire the fact that they told us this was going to happen at a number of positions, and it has, for example, in the secondary and at linebacker, and even along the offensive line, and even at wide receiver. I mean, a number of these positions, they have clearly decided that they are going to mix and match guys and try to find different combinations because of the specific opponent that they're playing. Maybe at some point, some of these guys will become so advanced and so mature and so good that they'll be able to leave some of these guys out there longer. But until that happens, the Giants seem very comfortable. In fact, it's their primary strategy to get as many of these guys involved as they can. Well, and this is something that Bill Belichick has preached all the time in New England. Sure he has. Tapping in, Paul, to the entire 53-man roster plus what you have on the practice squad and coaching these guys up because you just never know because of injury when you're going to have to turn to these players. So Joe Judge and Patrick Graham are a product of being with Bill Belichick in New England. It's no surprise that they're duplicating that. And, you know, with a young roster that you're trying to develop, and you're not just developing them, Paul, again, for contributing in 2020. This is also for what becomes of this roster in 21 and beyond that. If you can get some regular season reps in meaningful games, it may help you down the road. And Cam Fleming is not necessarily a guy that's on a long-term contract. Matt Parrott was drafted in the third round as a guy that could potentially be a tackle for the future. Why not throw him in the mix a little bit? Same thing with a guy like Shane Lemieux. We don't know what opportunity is going to be there for him down the road. And you could go with the corners too. And I thought you brought up an interesting point in terms of matchups. It just goes to show you the Giants may look at their defensive roster, Paul, and they may say, okay, these safeties and corners we think are more suitable to match up with the likes of Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, and Tyler Higby, the two top wide receivers for the Rams in the tight end. Then when they start reviewing the film and look at their roster, could be completely different in terms of how they see best fit matching up with Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup, and Dalton Schultz. So I would not be surprised because of matchups if they say, hey, how we felt they fit in against the Rams is not necessarily identical to how we see this group of personnel fit in with the Dallas Cowboys. Which is exactly why Joe Judge, you could see and you could hear it in his voice and see it on the screen when he does these virtual calls. He gets the question about, oh, such and such started. or yeah. and, and you could see it. He's like, I don't understand why you guys are asking me this because I've already told you how this works. You know, that's irrelevant. So why are you bothering to ask? And he's right. It, 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 it makes if anybody's listened and watched and understands what he's doing, it's the question is moot. Well, the other thing that I chuckle at in terms of people getting caught up in the starters, we talk about snaps, Paul, a lot on this show. Snaps is far more telling than who started because all it means when they give you the star, 
next to the box score or if you look up a person's career stats and you look at how many games they started, all that means is they were on the field for the very first play of the game, whether it be on offense or defense. Paul, that's all it means. And I know you know this. I'm just emphasizing this once again to the audience because sometimes, to me, that's not stating the obvious. I think we get so caught up in that if you get the little star next to your name and you're a starter, that means that you're playing 60 to 70% of the snaps. No, that's not what it means. All it means is you were on the field for the very first play. That's Mm -hmm. it, period. And based on what we're seeing... Paul, in terms of the snap count on defense, you being on the field for the very first defensive snap means absolutely nothing because they're shuffling personnel in and out. And it just goes to show you, you look at the Rams game, Paul. If you were to ask me, okay, name a few guys that jumped out to you that made some plays. Well, Austin Johnson's name, right, comes to mind. We weren't necessarily calling on Austin Johnson's name for the first few games of the season. Marcus Golden, we've now seen some impactful plays out of him. And his snap count has fluctuated over the course of the season. So that just goes to show you, you may all of a sudden get a game Sunday against the Dallas Cowboys and somebody that you least suspect could very well be called upon to make a big play. Like an Adrian Colbert, for example, who had to fill in for Jabril Peppers, of course, before he got hurt in the fourth quarter. Well, look at this, okay? I, I, I looked at some of the snap counts from the Rams game, and it's quite clear that they must have decided that Ryan Lewis's speed was going to be more impactful at the corner spot because he got 42 snaps compared to Yadam's 15. All of a sudden, yep. and Ballantyne, by the way, got none. Okay, and that's quite a difference from what we saw the first couple of weeks of the season. They decided that Lewis's speed was going to be very, very important against those Rams receivers. I would suspect... That may be the case this week against Dallas as well. Lewis may wind up getting the bulk of the snaps. Although, hey, for all I know, Madre Harper may wind up getting of course, a bunch yeah. of them I mean, too. he made a big special team stop, saved right? the touchdown. So, so maybe he gets involved in the quarterback mix this week. I don't know, but this is a great example of how a guy basically came from nowhere to suddenly come up with 42 of the 57 defensive snaps on Sunday against the Rams. And I guarantee you, if you asked anybody who was not involved with the coaching staff, which Giants corner is going to have the most snaps opposite Bradbury, I'm guaranteeing you 100% of the people would have said it's not going to be Lewis. Guaranteed. Well, and I think, Paul, this is a reason why the defensive production has fluctuated a bit in the first four games of the season because of so much different personnel being on the field game in and game out. You look at what the Niners did, and then you look at the Rams not having their typical offensive clinic. Well, there were a number of guys that were going up against the Rams personnel that Mm -hmm. didn't play much against the San Francisco 49ers. So that's another reason why I think the numbers have fluctuated. What hasn't fluctuated is the offensive production. And I want to focus on that before we obviously open up the phone lines as you're listening to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Lance Metal, Paul Dottino with you. And they jump off the page and for not very good reasons. This is an offense that has yet to reach 20 points, has scored no more than 16 in a given game. The last two games has failed to get to double digits. And they have yet to score a touchdown in the last two games. The last time they scored a touchdown was in the fourth quarter against the Bears when Deion Lewis ran in from a yard out. And yes, people are going to talk about Paul. They're going to get the Dallas Cowboys defense this week. And the Cowboys defense has struggled immensely, gave up 49 points to the Browns. I get that. But my response, Paul, is until we see the Giants offense turn the corner, I don't think this team is in any position 
to take for granted any defense that they're going up against and thinking that that's going to be the magic potion that's going to automatically and quickly solve the riddle. Well, you're right. I mean, this is a show-me league, okay? And until you are able to put some certain things on tape, opposing teams and their coordinators and their players are not going to buy in. They have to be able to respect that you can do X, Y, and Z before they are going to start changing their philosophies in terms of how they are going to either attack or defend you. And at this point, the Giants offensively have not shown anybody anything that they need to worry about that would cause them to change up anything in terms of their defensive philosophies, period. You look at this Giants offense, specifically putting the Rams game under the microscope. They have been able to move the football at times. That hasn't been the issue. The issue has been the self-inflicted wounds with the penalties and the combination, of course, of the turnovers. There was only one in the Rams case, but it came when the Giants had an opportunity to potentially put themselves in a position to tie the game with a two-point conversion and force overtime. But, you know, here's an example. And I bring this up all the time, Paul. You look at time of possession. The Giants held the ball for nearly seven more minutes than the Rams. Okay? You like that. Okay? You want to be plus six, plus seven in that I category, right? But let's take it a step further. Okay, so my next follow-up question would be, well, what did time of possession equate to? Great, you had the ball for an extra six or seven minutes, and then you look at that 33-plus minute time of possession equaled nine points. That's when, to me, Paul, time of possession is absolutely irrelevant if you're not scoring touchdowns. And I want to get off topic slightly here to bring in another team as an example because this is something that you could say it's not just the Giants. The Falcons last night against the Green Bay Packers in the second Monday night game, after Green Bay took an early 7-0 lead, the Falcons get a stop on a fourth and goal at the one. The Packers were just about to punch it in. Big, huge defensive stop. You're saying to yourself, Paul, hey, this is a momentum turner. Atlanta then puts together... 20-play, 94-yard drive. Let me say that again. 20 plays, 94 yards. Paul, they milked over 10 and a half minutes away. They settled for three lousy points. And then what happens? Aaron Rodgers and the Packers respond with a touchdown drive that took half the amount of time, five minutes. And what happened with the Rams? After the Giants held the ball for 33-plus minutes, I know it was a broken coverage, but the reality is it shows up in the box score one way. That's a 55-yard touchdown pass to Cooper Cup. So the opposition scores in a blink of an eye. You take a year on a Sunday holding on to the ball. You settle for field goals. Once again, Paul, I don't want to hear anything about time of possession anymore. Well, I disagree with you, Lance. I, I think that time of possession is actually extremely critical because if you don't win the time of possession, you don't put yourself in an opportunity to compete for the game. Uh, the Giants, because they won the time of possession against the Rams, they were in position where they could have tied the game on the final drive as they got down into the red zone. If they don't win the time of possession during the course of that Sunday, they, they're blown out. They, they don't even have a chance because Goff and company have the ball too long. They're doing too many things. Your defense is on the field too much. They can't hold up forever. So here, here's, here's where you're right. You do have to maximize your efficiency. 
when you have chances inside the red zone, you need to cash in and get sevens instead of threes. So I absolutely agree with your premise that you must maximize your scoring opportunities. Nobody's going to disagree with you on that at all. But you're, you're being a little short-sighted and not recognizing that the bonus part to that equation is if you can keep your defense off the field and give them a rest and give them an opportunity to recoup and to re-energize knowing that the other team's offense is incredibly dangerous and can absolutely beat you into the ground, well, I mean, that's, that's the extra cherry on top. So to be perfectly frank with you, both of us have a right to feel as though those things are priorities. I just happen to think that both of them together are really the entire pie with the whipped cream and the cherry, and if you can get it all, you want to get it all. And I, I think it I think it's foolhardy just to say, well, you gotta get your sevens and time of possession is not important and not relevant. I think you you downplay that way, way too much. Well, the reason I downplayed it is because the coulda, woulda, shoulda game doesn't win football games, Paul. I mean, you could argue, yeah, the Giants put themselves in a position to perhaps tie the game and force overtime, but the bottom line is they didn't get it done. And this right. is a results-oriented business. You don't get brownie points in the standings because there's a little star saying, okay, well, you won the time of possession against the Rams to put yourself in a position yeah, to win see, the game. Yeah, but see, you're missing the point again. It's got to be the combination of both. You, you, if, you, if you really want the entire enchilada – then you want to win the time of possession, plus you want to make sure you get sevens instead of threes. See, what you're failing to realize here, Lance, you're, you're being a little short-sighted here. What you're missing is that if you don't control the time of possession, especially against explosive offensive teams, your chances of even being in that game in the fourth quarter are decreased. And I'd rather take my chances being in games week in and week out because at least I might be able to steal a couple of them. If I'm constantly losing the time of possession, well, then guess what? Chances are I'm not even going to be in those games. And that's not good. Well, I would say that that's still a generic statement in saying you're not going to be in games. I mean, every game is different in terms of the storyline and the game flow. And the Giants' defense, in fairness, held its own against the Rams. And there were some times where the Rams put together some drives where the Giants managed to make some stops. For example, you go to the drive a little bit later after the 12-play touchdown drive. The Rams put together a 15-play, 47-yard drive. It ate up seven minutes, and the Giants' defense made a stance and held them to a field goal. And this was when the Rams got into Giants territory. They were right in the red zone, and they forced a 32-yard field goal. So they were preventing the explosive plays, whether the Rams were three and out or they put together lengthy drives. I mean, keep in mind, the longest play that the Rams had was the 55-yard touchdown pass to Cooper Cup. Outside of that, everything was 16 yards or less, whether it be on the ground or through the air. So for a game where, yes, there was a noticeable change in terms of how long the Giants had the ball versus the Rams. I never got to the point where I felt the Giants defense, no matter what the Rams were doing, was with their backs against the wall. And you said, oh, no, this is going to be dangerous territory. They were fairly consistent from start to finish, especially after that touchdown drive that they allowed. Well, you had to feel that way, partly because they weren't being stressed by having to be on the field too much. Look, I'm going to give you a number, and this is indisputable. The lowest 11 teams, there are only 11 teams in the NFL whose average time of possession is less than 30 minutes a game. There are 11 of them. Do you want to take a guess how many of them have a 500 record or better? Oh, I'm sure it's definitely reflected in terms of the bottom. Just take a guess. Of the 11, how many? Of the 11. I would probably say seven. All 11 have losing records today. 
All 11, Lance. All 11. Not one of the teams averaging less than 30 minutes a game is even at 500. Not well, one. I'm bringing up the list right now, and I could tell you just perusing that list, the other common trait between all of these teams is they're also not very good in turnover differential. Well, because for example, natural, Dallas though? and Houston are dead yeah, but, last, but, but and isn't second that to last in time of possession, and both of those teams are bottom three in turnover right, differential right. as well. Because, it, but that it, this is why it's such a spider web. Remember. The, the National Football League, the game of professional football and college football and high school football to some degree as well, although it's not obviously as scientific as when you get to the best of the best. The game is a spider web. It is a domino effect. So, yes, of course, most of these teams in these bottom 11, not only do all of them have losing records, I didn't even take a look at the turnover ratio, but I'm going to take a pretty good guess that probably all 11 are minus in turnover ratio too. And why? Because if you're minus in turnover ratio and you're giving up possessions, you're going yeah. to lose time of possession. One and one equals two, Lance. It's, it's the same thing. It's all part of the same string, the same spider web. 100%. They're synonymous with one another. And the Giants kill. See, so you do agree with me. Well, I never said that. That was a fair point, 100%. I think that they're together. But what's happening with the Giants is it's the double whammy. It's the fact that they're not maximizing their possessions because they're giving up possessions due to turnovers. But then the possessions, which are far and few, where yes. they put together lengthy drives, something is then preventing them from punching it in, whether it be the lack of execution, which is mm -hmm. obviously the most obvious. Number two would be the penalties, which are also far and few, but come at the worst possible time. And you and I talked about penalties last week coming out of the Niners game. Well, here we go again. Two of your four penalties come right when you're knocking on the door in a 10-3 game here, and you have an opportunity to maybe tie instead of make it 10-6 and you have the illegal formation and the Caden Smith false start, you're right. going backwards instead of forward. So you're exerting so much effort as it is just to pick up a first down with your offense at this point. And now when you're faced with having to give pick up 15 yards or 20 yards, you know that it's a struggle to get 10. Why would you ever want to put your team in a position to have to do it 15 and 20 yards? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, you combine both of those forces, no doubt about it. But you know I think the turnovers though? have been extremely killer because this team needs as many possessions, as many at-bats, Paul, as humanly possible to maximize their chances of putting points on the board. And when you give away gifts to the opposition and opportunities like that, you know, then you're always going to be digging yourself out of a hole. I, I give you another very interesting number, too. Uh, of those 11 teams, four of them are actually top 10 in red zone efficiency, scoring on more than 70% of their scoring opportunities. Arizona, Jacksonville, Dallas, and Minnesota are all top 10 in red zone offense at over 70%. But because they are in the bottom 11 of average time of possession, they have a losing record. It's just, I mean... Again, I think I think your point is is certainly valid. I just think that the time of possession is a heavier point than than the one that you're making. But they do work hand in hand, as do the turnovers, because it is a spider web. That's just the way it is.
I mean, for example, I'm looking at the T.O.P. rankings here. Kansas City, which I know is a very unique team, but they're 21st in time of possession. Why? Because they could score in the blink of an eye. New Orleans is 20th. So, I mean, there's two teams that have very good offenses. They're not ranked very high because they have the ability to score very quickly. They could have a three-play drive, go for the home run, and it ends up as a touchdown. If you don't have that ability you're further putting yourself in a precarious spot. And the Giants right now are struggling just to score with lengthy drives. So we're not even talking about where the home run plays are. Right now, they're just trying to solve the riddle of if you put together a 13-play, 14-play drive, you find a way to punch it in. Well, I think we, we all know that if you're a super, super talented team and you're explosive as all heck, and you know, let's just say, for example, a team like uh, Green Bay, or a green like a team like San Francisco when they've got all their weapons going, or or a team like the Rams. Okay, there there are teams that have really good offenses. I mean, certainly New Orleans. I think they would be you. You would consider them a very explosive offense. These teams don't necessarily because they have so much firepower and can score so quickly, literally at will. They don't have to play the game of time of possession. They don't necessarily have to play the game of uh, looking at their red zone percentage. And and consequently, they can even have two turnovers and still come back and beat you because they can score so quickly and so often. You know, those are the teams that are just so loaded with offensive firepower that they don't need to worry about these conventional issues that I'm talking about. But if you're one of the other teams, one of the have-nots, one of the not uh, elite teams, if you will, this core basic philosophy about time of possession, turnover ratio, and red zone becomes even more critical than it does to the other teams who can put up points like a pinball machine. Giants fans get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account. Visit InvestorsBank.com slash Giants member FDIC. As you are listening to Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by New York Lottery, as we are so glad you could tune in. Get out there and play. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here. We take you up till the top of the hour. Let's open up the phone lines at 201-939-4513. You can also tweet at us at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. Manny's in California. He gets us going. What's happening, Manny? Hi, guys. How we doing, Manny? What's on your mind? A couple of things. One, One, this is for my dear friend Charlie in Portland, Maine. Uh, about uh, the uh, disastrous quarterback that we need to put in our uh, backup, Colt McCoy. Here's three uh, legendary quarterbacks in their first season. A guy who went 3-13, and 13, exactly what Daniel Jones did, threw 3,729 yards, a little less than Jones at 39, had 26 touchdown passes, the same as Jones, but at 28 interceptions and three fumbles, 31 total turnovers to Jones's 30. That was Peyton Manning. Troy Aikman, 0-11 in his first season, 53% completions, had nine touchdowns, 18 interceptions, and three fumbles lost. If you extrapolate those turnovers to a 16-game season, that's 30 and a half. Phil Simms, 
six and five in his uh, first season, but 13 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, nine fumbles lost in 11 games for a 16 game season. That's 33 and a half. I think we would be happy if we had Aikman, Sims, or Peyton Manning as our quarterback, and there's How? nothing there. That you you, you want to throw Jones. Jerry Bradshaw into that list, too? Oh, I, I could go on for a long time. Yeah, there's a number That's of quarterbacks. My, my po- all legendary quarterbacks, all great. Give Jones a break. The, my other point, we played four, when we started the season, and I listened to you guys all, all through the preseason, we all thought the offense is going to be fine. We're worried about the defense. We have one of the top ten defenses in, in points allowed in the season, but guess who we played? Of the top six teams in points allowed, we had faced all four of our teams are in the that we uh, lost to were in the top six, as opposed to our division, where Dallas and Redskins and even the uh, Eagles are nowhere near that level. Kansas City and Baltimore are the only two teams that are in the league of Pittsburgh, Chicago, Rams, and San Francisco in points allowed. I think, you know, we knew that this was our preseason. The rest of the season uh, is not at that level of intensity. You guys tried to warn everybody that the first four games were horrible. We certainly were hoping we could eke out at least one against the Bears. But cool your Jets, people. Our quarterback, look at your eye test for the, you know, I think uh, he's only had uh, one. Well, he's or only two played one full rookie blocks. season. That was his 16th start, so the sample size is, is still relatively he's small. He's completed his one season now. Yeah, and the first season of those legendary quarterbacks were horrendous, arguably significantly worse than and than he did. And I didn't even throw in his rushing statistics: another 400 yards uh, so far over his 16 games. And two more touchdowns there. Oh, I'll, I'll give you, you another know, Daniel, piece of ammunition if you want to start a, you know, going after these people. How about the fact that he's had to deal with two different head coaches and two different offensive coordinators and two different systems? How about that? I, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the kid is smart. He's poised. Has he made mistakes? Of course. And all rookies do. I think people have very short memories because of the success of Lamar Jackson and uh, Patrick Mahomes people that sort of came in and were instant starters. But I wouldn't trade Daniel Jones for, for uh, Haskins, and, uh, and it doesn't even look like some of the legends of the year before, the, the quarterback year, with the exception of maybe Josh Allen. You know, Darnold isn't, uh, isn't actually rocking the house. Josh Rosen's with his fourth team or something like that. Uh, <laughs> now and looks like he's buried in the practice squad. Which was upsetting to me because I'm a UCLA fan out here since I moved from California from New York. Sorry, but nonetheless, I think, I, <laughs> yeah, but I think Jones. Hey, listen, but we got Darnay Holmes, and that guy is going to be a killer. You you watch my words, and uh, I know that uh, since the season started, I was surprised my old buddy Ross Salzberg, who I went to high school with, hasn't been on. I hope he's doing well because I don't know what's going on in New York and. Uh, if you guys ever see him, send out my best, and I'll take uh, any All right, comments off the air. Appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for uh, giving us a ring. I don't know how many times we could say this. He's started 16 games, Daniel Jones. That's it. I don't understand the rush to judgment and needing a declaration about what he's going to be down the road. A quarterback is influenced based on his environment, the scheme, three different offenses in the span of three seasons. It's not an excuse. It's just the reality. 
Why can't we just wait and see what happens with Daniel Jones before we have to give a declaration about what his NFL career is going to become? And all of those other quarterbacks, they're great examples, but here's the thing. Paul, all of those other quarterbacks have different environments than Daniel Jones. So while I understand it's convenient to throw out, oh, well, look what became of them, Daniel Jones has completely different personnel, completely different scheme and system. So, you know, I don't know how much you really take away from that. The best lesson I think you take away from that is the fact that don't rush to judgment on a guy after one full season of starts. That's it. Absolutely. Totally agree. And by the way, uh, to the caller, Russ is fine. He's healthy. You can see him on Giants kickoff on Fox every weekend when we do a, uh, a pregame show that airs usually on Saturdays. Uh, just the, the whole thing with BBK, you guys know we're not doing video this year. We're back to audio only. We've had a lot of different logistical problems that we've had to work through as we do these games and these shows by remote because there are only so many different types of technology we can use. There's only so many people allowed in the building on a given day. And so let's just chalk up 2020 as being something very unique. And I'm sure that 2021 will be a lot more normal once we finally get there. Well, at least we hope. We're keeping our fingers crossed with respect to that. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. We got Big Ed in Maryland. What's happening, Big Ed? Oh, my gosh. I'm back. Hello. How are you guys doing? How's it going, Paulie? What's up, Paulie D? Hey, My hey. Boy. It's a beautiful How you day, been, man. How you, you take care of yourself, man? We're trying, man. You sound good. Yeah, I'm hanging in there strong too, man. You know, giant pride, giant heart. You stay strong, big blue, all day, all day long. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Now, guys, I have been listening to you this morning. Mm. You have been saying some things. Oh, my, oh, my. So, look, my whole thing is it seems obvious we have to put together a whole game where there's no turnovers and we don't give up any plays. And Lance, I have to say, Paulie, you got to hear Paulie saying, how do we compete if we don't do what's necessary for our time of possession? We have to have time of possession. Because it takes a dangerous offense, like Tom Brady's, for instance. That's how we beat them, by time of possession. And they had well, the They also beat offense. them based on having a really good defense that got after the quarterback, though, Big Ed. I mean, come on. Let's right. uh, provide the proper right. context here. When you got a front right. line like that and you can right. win the battle in the trenches, that's going to also do wonders for you. You're right. And that's why I want to get back to the point of what you made, Lance, to say you was absolutely right. It's kind of like you both were right on what you were saying. Paul is right about the time of possession. You do need it. But Lance is more importantly right. You have to – you have to um, – I'm not commute. Um, you have to complete that drive. Yeah. You need touchdowns to win these football games. You don't win football games by not having touchdowns. I don't care how good the defense has been. And give credit to the defense. Oh, my gosh. They're the top de- one of the top defenses in the league right now, and it doesn't really show it, but it's there. When you can hold two different teams to 17 points, and then mind you, they both have – well, Chicago's offense wasn't that powerful, but the Rams definitely had one. And then hold them still to 17, it's obvious the offense needs to step up. And the only way they can step up is not make mistakes. Minimize the mistakes – He's kind of like Eli, you know, and kind of like I like what the um, Manny was just saying out of Cali. You know, he's kind of like Peyton Manny. He needs his chance, but at the same time, he needs his chance to grow because 
it took a minute for Peyton to get as good as he was. It's going to take a minute for Dane to get as good as he can get. He has the ability to be the greatest, one of the greatest quarterbacks out here by far. When you can closely, secondly run to uh, Lamar Jackson, what? I already have a future dream Super Bowl coming up in the next couple of years, within the next two to three years, because I feel like they both need a lot more learning, you know, figuring out those tweaks and stuff. And I'll finish with that. But the most part, I'll say, yeah, you got a chance to be that way because you need to expose it. But most important, I didn't want to leave this out, and then I'll go. I saw, I watched me watch the whole game, right? Optics. Daniel Jones got to get rid of the ball three seconds. If it has to come to a fourth or fifth second, you'd run. Just run. Minimizes your issues, minimizes mistakes. If you sit there and hold that ball like you did a couple of times, oh, you're going to get that's trouble. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you can also just time. throw it away. I mean, you don't necessarily have to right. run. Right, throw it away. And, and listen, yeah. appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for uh, giving us a ring. I think it's Paul really finding a balance between both of those because, you know, you don't want your quarterback running on every single play and exposing him to hits. No, that's you know how I feel about that. Positive results. Well, the thing that really kind of, kind of made me feel really bad for Daniel Jones is that on the game-clinching interception, not only could he have run for the first down if that's the way you wanted him to go because he had plenty of room to do so, he also had Deion Lewis who had snuck out of the backfield and was wide open, didn't have a a defender within three or four yards of him, and he was standing right at the first down marker. And he was in front of Jones. So, you know, Jones could have either run for the first down if he wanted to. He could have just dumped it off to, to Lewis. Lewis had the first down. He probably could have gotten another few yards after that. And the Giants would have been in business. Of, of the three options that he had, Lewis, run, or force it into Ratley, he took the one option that he never should have taken. Because I honestly don't think he had much of a chance to complete that ball at all. And consequently... Uh, you know, it got intercepted. I Look, I think we, the, the Giants would have been extremely lucky had the ball just been knocked down, passed defensed, hit the ground, or yeah. been bobbled and dropped, and they would have gotten an incompletion out of it. They would have been extremely fortunate to have that happen. But the Rams' DB made the play, didn't let the ball hit the grass, and so it turned into an interception. And it's too bad because – you know, if if somehow that's incomplete, the Giants live another day, and I'm sure Jones sits back and says, you know what, I made a bad decision on that throw. Well, and that's why we always emphasize throwing it away to live to see another down because then you at least have an opportunity to make up for it as opposed to completely losing the ball and then the opportunity, you could kiss that away. Interestingly, on that play, I was listening to a Darius Williams, the Rams corner who picked him off. He had mentioned that. He said he saw a similar formation earlier in the game when Daniel Jones made a similar decision in terms of where he decided to go with the ball, and that enabled him to get a good read on the interception. Just something interesting when an opposing player provides that perspective, you know, and you wonder if you're the Giants, you have to go back to the drawing board and re-examine maybe some of the looks that you give a team earlier in the game. The, the other thing, speaking of looks that I wanted to bring up, which is on a related note, the Gerald Everett rushing touchdown, the tight end for the Rams. Paul, in 2017, they ran a similar play with Gerald Everett. He picked up 13 yards. He only mm-hmm. has five carries in his career, Everett. Three of them came against the Giants. And two of them obviously resulted in a first down slash a touchdown in this case, because this was only a two-yard run. And it 
to me, it's interesting because whenever you ask a coach sometimes, hey, are you going to go back and you're going to look at how the Giants fared against this team, even though you and your coaching staff weren't here? Well, Sean McVay looked at the old film from 17 when they beat the Giants at MetLife Stadium, and he clearly said, hey, you know what? That play worked. Why not give Gerald Everett an opportunity? Because if you only have five career carries, they're certainly not using you in that capacity more often than not. <laughs> no, I think that that's a good point, Lance. And by the way, just going back to the offense for one second, and I'm not confusing Sterling Shepard with a guy who's going to Canton in the Hall of Fame, okay? I don't, I don't think Sterling Shepard is on that level. But do you think there's any coincidence to the fact that the Giants haven't scored a touchdown in each of the last two games and Shepard was sidelined with Turto? Well, and also no Saquon Barkley, too. I mean, yeah, no Barkley also. But, you know, to, to more to the point, the passing game without Shepard is a big deal because we do believe that he's one of the more accomplished slot receivers in the NFL. He does know how to get open, okay? He does a really good job at, at running those routes from the inside position. And I don't think there's any doubt when you talk about passing games, everybody who's ever played in the National Football League will tell you that quarterbacks love to lean on those slot receivers because they are closer to the line of scrimmage. Remember, they always tell you that the, the, the football fans from the inside to the outside and the easiest completions for a quarterback are to the guys who are closer to the tackle box. Well, that's what Shepard is. He's a slot receiver. He's closer to the tackle box. His completions or his, his receptions are easier for Jones to complete. Uh, I think it's a big deal that he hasn't been around the last couple of weeks. And I don't know when that turf toe is going to heal. Like I've said before on this program, I've seen turf toe sideline a guy for a whole season. I saw what it did to Keith Bullock when he got to the Giants some years ago. And he was frustrated as all heck. He's like, it's a little tiny two-inch toe, for goodness sakes. And it's ruining my entire season. And he was furious as, he, as could be. So I don't know where Sterling Shepard stands. I know this. He didn't practice at all last week. So I don't think he's close. You are listening to Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by New York Lottery. Get out there and play. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you. Let's head back to the phone lines as we move along here, and we check in with Mark in Connecticut. Mark, what's happening? Hey, guys. Happy Tuesday. Same Hi. to you. Hey, um, doing well. So I have two questions. Um, I first wanted to bring up a name I haven't heard a ton, and that's Austin Johnson. Um, I don't know much about him. I know he was on the Titans before. Um, from what I've seen, he's played well, at least last week. I know he had the um, the sack fumble, of course, mm -hmm. last week. And I don't know how much stake you guys want to put into the PFF grades, but he was graded pretty well, had a 93.1, I think, for last week. But he only played 13 snaps. Right. Um, is, is there any way that you guys can see him having a bigger role in the offense? Well, consider this. Who's in front of him? Well, Tomlinson, of course. <laughs> well, a few other guys, too. <laughs> you know, and, and I think that's the problem. When you consider the Giants really do like their defensive line, and justifiably so, you're talking about Williams and Lawrence and Tomlinson, but specifically at the DT position, you're talking about Tomlinson. And, and to be honest, in a lot of ways, Lawrence is playing a DT position in the scheme that they'll run. So it's, it's really hard to say, well, you got to give Austin Johnson a whole bunch of more snaps because that means one of those two guys is coming off of the field. And I'd be hard-pressed to try to do that. But I, I get your point. I do think that certainly last week, how could you argue, 
I mean, the, the, you know, the, the tackle for a loss, a quarterback hit, had the forced fumble you mentioned, but he had the sack. I mean, on 13 snaps, how could you sneeze at that? What he may wind up doing is earn a little bit more, but I don't necessarily think you're going to see him get a boatload more because the guys in front of him are just too good. But you need that player, that sort of the energizer bunny that you could bring off the bench and produce and maximize his snap count. Similar to what Kyler Fackrell did in Green Bay once Darius Smith and Preston Smith came aboard. The other thing that's important to note about Austin Johnson, he's connected to Sean Spencer, the Giants defensive line coach. They yes. were together at Penn State. So if anybody knows about Austin Johnson and what he could do, it's his own positional coach, which certainly I think is promising that if he can still produce like this at times, that Spencer will look to rotate him in but pick those opportune moments to do so. True, true. And it's not an incredibly large sample size, but there's nothing to your point. There's nothing wrong with having some depth behind the guys who are getting more playing time as well. So I I see that. Um, Of course. Second question. This one's from Paul. So, I wanted to go back to a discussion you had a couple months ago before the season even began. Um, my question to you is, after what we've seen so far this season, especially last night, are you ready to admit that it was a good idea for the Pats to go with Cam Newton over Jared Stidham? I'm a Stidham guy, and uh, you know, until he has a body of work that allows us to objectively grade him, uh, I'm not going to get off of it. Uh, you know, to me, it, it's very hard. It's very hard to back off of a guy you like coming out if he doesn't have an opportunity, you know, to show what he can do on tape. And that's that's always the toughest part about it because if for whatever reason the guy doesn't get a chance, then you'll never know what he could have been. I'm a, I'm a Stidham guy. I, I just I'm a big big Jared Stidham guy. Next to Daniel Jones, I thought he was the next best quarterback in that draft. And, you know, I'm not I'm not going to back off of that. And, you know, at the same time, uh, I can't deny that Cam Newton, when given the starting job at the beginning of this season, certainly came out like gangbusters. There's no doubt about that. I, I would also say to you, I would be very afraid that if Newton was not handed the job, that he probably would have been some kind of locker room cancer and he, and he would have caused problems and it, and it wouldn't have worked out very well. But, you know, Belichick gave him the job and the guy put up. And good for him. And you know what? By the way, we should wish him well. I mean, God knows anybody who tests positive for this virus needs all the strength they can muster to get over it as soon as possible. But that's, yeah, that's my answer. I, I, don't, I don't have anything that's going to change my decision on Stidham until he puts something on tape that proves otherwise. Uh-huh. All right, Mark. Gotcha. Appreciate the phone well, call. Thanks so much for uh, weighing and in. And Lance, I think that's only being fair. Big Blue Kickoff Live. You know, Let's unless, check in unless with Rick if Stidham gets out there and proves that he can't do the job, well, then I made a mistake. But uh, he hasn't done that, has he? No. Well, it's a small sample size. And, you know, at this point, though, I think it's crystal clear, though, that Cam is by far their best quarterback on the roster. Whether or not we've Based seen Based on what we've Stidham, seen this year at this point, sure. Cam is the most accomplished quarterback on that roster. Without a doubt. I, so I, I was not I surprised deny that he won the job. Can't yeah. deny that at all. What's happening, Rick? Hey. I was listening to Paul Finnish. What's up? How are you guys doing? Hi. We're doing all right. What do you got for us? Good. Well, first, Paul, I got to say this because it's been a streak so far. Good game for the Yanks. Uh, you know, uh, we have been having lost since I keep saying that to you. So, uh, <laughs> Hey, all I got there. to say is Tampa, the real Yankees showed up. Did you like it? Would you like yeah. some more? We're ready tonight, yep. baby. 
Oh yeah, Debbie Garcia. <laughs> let's, let the kid, let's let the kid go show him something. So yeah, that's uh, I'm excited about that. Now back to the other thing that I'm not excited about. Um, all right, a couple things. One, real quick, is that I, I think you're giving Shepard a little bit too much, uh, too much, uh, whatever, uh, uh, importance, whatever, because the Giants need a, a, a big, they need a receiver bad. Well, Rick, I mean, you're right. Before you go anywhere, you're right about that, but I'm talking about the position. Specifically, right. an accomplished slot receiver can be a quarterback's best friend, just as a receiving can, yeah. tight end can also be a quarterback's best friend just by the nature of the right. position and the schemes that are run. That's all. Right. Okay. Yeah, no, exactly. And what did I say last week? Watch Cooper Cup, right? And, I, gosh, the whole game, the defense has been playing well. And then, gosh, had, and now and when I'm finished, I didn't know if you got how you broke down what happened on that play, how he got It was so a busted coverage by Julian Love. It was. Yeah, it he was, busted right? it. He, okay. he was playing zone. And obviously, the rest of the secondary was playing man. He should have been playing man, and he should have trailed Cup the entire way. And perhaps he would have been able to break up the pass or something bad would have happened for the Rams. But instead, he got off of him, thought he was playing zone, and that left Cup wide open. I mean, and see, there's, yeah. there's, there's the thing. See, that's not a skill or talent mistake. That was a mental error. Now, did Love get the play? Did he get the play and not know the play? Did he get confused? We don't know the answer to that because we didn't get a chance to talk to him. But that's what would, that's a mental error. That's not a skill or talent problem. And that's why people yeah. have to understand there's a huge difference between not having good players and not having enough talent to compete and things that are busted. And that's why when coaches or players say they're fixable, well, that's something that's fixable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right, and 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 I hope it, it, th- that is because I, I all right. This is the thing I, I've been very uh, impressed uh, with the the way the defense has has been playing. Uh, marked marked improvement on a lot of areas, uh, but the offense this this not. I mean, with the with the way scoring has been up in the league for us to be so inept in in, in the offensive scoring is, um, is 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 a lot to be had. But I have to say and. I, I really don't – I know uh, there's nothing to – the Giants are going to be killed this weekend. Just Dallas is, is, could score 50 points, and I know they give up points, but nothing that we have done that shows me that we're going to go in there and score 30 points. And I, I'm really thinking that this game is going to be a blowout before the halftime. They, they, Dallas has to, has to, to change their, their ways quick. They have a good scoring team, and I'm – I, I know you guys have to say it, and I know uh, some Giant fans say that, well, we could beat Dallas because if we do, hey, tied for first place. But you know what? I'm really – nothing uh, – maybe you could say something to me that's going to say, Rick, you know what? The Giants could beat them because of this. I think it's going to really be an ugly, ugly game. And then we're going to be looking at the first round, the first pick of the draft, and are we going to go this way? With the quarterback, well, I we think Rick, we're getting a little bunch. bit ahead of ourselves in ter- talking know, about the draft. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we I don't know, need to be talking about the draft, even if they lose this game. I, I think the bottom line is, I agree with you. I think Dallas is an extremely dangerous team from an offensive standpoint. Oh, yeah. Okay, Dak Prescott has thrown for nearly ten thousand yards in four games. Now you could say they're playing Against catch up, a lot of and that's why the Against numbers. Us, but he still also has been extremely efficient. So yeah, this is going to be quite the task for a Giants defense that has played well, but has also fluctuated. 
And I think that there, on paper, are opportunities for the Giants to move the ball. But once again, we've seen the Giants move the ball against defenses. We have yet to see them finish drives. So you could tell me the Giants are going to move the ball up and down the field. Okay, so my response is going to be, well, what happens when they get to the red zone? Is it going to be a field goal or is it going to be a touchdown? Because if it's going to be a field goal, then you're going to be in a very precarious spot against that Dallas offense. You know what's funny right. to me, Rick? And we, we keep yes. hearing the headlines here or reading the headlines in New York about Daniel Jones. You know that Prescott's lost three fumbles this year and Daniel Jones has only lost two? And by the way, Ezekiel Elliott's also lost two fumbles already Well, they've this lost year. a number of fumbles. They had three fumbles in one game they lost. Dallas, Dallas, yeah. Dallas is having a very difficult time holding on to the ball. And what, what do we all know is the kiss of death to any team. If you keep giving the ball away like crazy, you're going to have right. yourself a very, very long day. Now, you can't predict turnovers. That's no. true. You can't. But they usually do come in bunches, and and they usually come in trends because what happens is teams will see that, just like they see Daniel Jones is having trouble with the ball sometimes, you know, so they're going for it. Well, if you're the Giants, you absolutely want to be digging at that ball. You want to shake it free from Prescott. You want to make sure that you get your hands in there and try to get it out of Elliott's hands. Because psychologically, when guys start turning the ball over a few weeks in a row, that works against them too. So if you, you want mm-hmm. one of the ways that the Giants can win this game this weekend, one of them is very simple. Take advantage of the Cowboy turnover situation and make sure that they come up on the negative side of the turnover ratio. Right. Right. And, and, and okay, and, and real quick, just one more thing. Um, I mentioned wide receiver, and, yes, it's something that's going to have to be addressed, obviously, I guess, in the draft, right, or in the or free agent signing next year. Because nothing, unless you – is there somewhere in, the, in our in, – down maybe a position or two uh, on, uh, in our own depth where we – I mean, Slayton, I mean, other than him, uh, that could maybe – Oh, come, Rick, they got a lot of wide receivers on the practice squad, remember. You know, and they may develop these guys, and they may turn out to be something. It's too early to tell. You know, Austin Mack was called up from the practice squad. He wasn't active. You know, you got Alex Bachman, who's been in and out of the roster. I mean, Rick, I, I understand you want to talk about 2021. We're week five of the NFL season. I mean, can we, can we at right. least get through half the year here before we start speculating yeah. about their needs next offseason? I mean, come on. Yeah. Well, I was saying hopefully it could be a need that could be filled in the next couple of weeks. But we'll uh, – Well, the, the, like the, I said, the, I think somebody on the practice squad, if they're not content yeah. with – how guys like Board and Ratley are producing, and it's still a relatively small sample size, they've got volume on the practice squad. There were a lot of guys in camp. So I wouldn't rule out that maybe they say, hey, we've seen enough reps. We like what we see in practice. We're going to give this guy a shot. I don't think that's a stretch at all. Okay. My, 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 and, and the last thing, my, my, my uh, uh, plan for this week is I'm, I'm going all out on my – I have three left, three survivor pools. I'm going with Dallas on all three of them because I think they're going to get killed. I hate going against the Giants, because if the Giants win, I'm going to be so happy because they'll be tied for first. <laughs> That's my Yeah, well, this <laughs> division is reminding oh. me a lot of 2015, and, and appreciate the phone call, Rick. And if you go back to 2015, you had pretty much every team, Paul, hang around with one another. And then all of a sudden, Washington separated itself from the rest of the pack by going on a winning streak to end the season. So, you know, early games in the division don't mean much of anything, especially when nobody's pulling away. Well, this is all part of the pandemic schedule. Remember, Lance, it was decided by the NFL that when they made their league slate this year, 
they were going to make sure that everybody was playing out of the division for the first four weeks of the season. And one of the reasons was because they wanted to compartmentalize those four games and be able to either lop them off or move them into January if the pandemic wound up screwing up with the schedule. So that's why no team got to play within their own division until week number five. And that's where we are now. And we all know that, you know, division games count twice as much as the other games. So if you want to consider those first four games pseudo preseason games, well, guess what? You can say, now you're 0-0, and now it's a 12-game season. Let's see how you do. Because I'll tell you something, fans, and I know you guys don't want to hear this. If the Giants go 6-6 six and six for the final 12 games, well, you know, that kind of tells you really that they're a 500-caliber team. But these first four games were pseudo-preseason games. They tried to figure out who they were. They tried to figure out what they wanted to do with guys. They wanted to figure out who was going to get the snap counts. They wanted to figure out who was going to be in the sub-packages. And once they finally got it square and they found out who they were, if they can go 6-6 six and six the rest of the way, and I know that's going to wind up being 6-10, and 10, but if they go 6-6 six and six the rest of the way, then that tells you they got to the middle of the pack. And that's not necessarily a bad thing despite what the final one lost record might be. And by the way, one other thing for Rick, I am a huge Austin Mack fan. I've said this a billion times on this program. I was so happy to see him activated, and then not to get a jersey on Sunday was a bummer because that guy makes plays. He's got length. He's got some height to him. He's got physicality. He fights for the ball. He's got terrific ball skills. He's he's a real pit bull when it comes to receivers, and he blocks for the run, too. I'm a big Austin Mack fan. I hope at some point this season he winds up seizing some playing time. Well, I think it's a positive that they called him up from the practice squad. That's why I pointed that out. You know, maybe they're now seeing something in practice, and they want to eventually get him on the field or at least give him a jersey for a regular season game. I think that's at least somewhat of an encouraging sure. sign. So, you know, that shouldn't be taken away from him. It's just a matter of whether or not – they get separation. I think it's a group, Paul. I think that's what it comes down to. We could speculate about all these receivers and all these guys with potential on the practice squad. The key is going out there, winning your one-on-one battles, and getting an opportunity for Daniel Jones to throw you the ball. You know, that's what it really comes down to. And I think when you go back to that Rams game, at least in the first half, maybe not so much of the second half things I think opened up a little bit. I think a big issue was, while we want to point the finger at the quarterback between the lack of the rushing attack, because the rushing attack really didn't emerge until the second half, some pass protection issues. Remember, Daniel Jones was sacked four times, him holding on to the ball, but why was he holding on to the ball, Paul? You can argue, well, he didn't really have many opportunities down the field. No, you're right. But I'll give you another question, Lance, and please feel free to answer how you wish. How many times have you seen a Giants wide receiver exhibit Excellent ball skills, win a 50-50 ball, you know, play above the X's and the O's and help their quarterback out. Well, I think that's a fair point. And, and that's happen, exactly at the heart of what we're talking about right now. I'll give you an example. You know, and and by the way, I, I like the Giants I, receivers. I, I like the guys they have. But, but to take it to the next level, if somebody can just – consistently start to win the 50-50 ball. I've talked about this before. If you're going to take your game to another level and just not be okay but be better than okay, you've got to be able to help out your quarterback and make plays on the other end of those passes. I'll give you the perfect example. There was a pass in the Rams game, if you recall, Paul. He threw it to the outside to C.J. Board. Remember, Mm -hmm. Board went pretty much full extension. And right through his hands. Correct. 
So there's an example of yep. you got separation or you at least put yourself in a position to make a play for the quarterback. Unfortunately, could not haul in the football. And it so goes down as an incompletion for 50, Daniel Jones. Balls and balls or 50-50 plays, right? to me, Paul, that fall right under the category that you're talking about. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more, Lance. You are exactly right. With total clarity and focus, there's a play that becomes an incompletion for the quarterback. People will say, oh, he made the guy stretch out for the ball. Okay, but he's a professional wide receiver who's cashing a check this week. Doesn't he have a responsibility if the ball hits his hands to make a play for his QB and help him out? So, yeah, absolutely. And you know what? On my sheet, I gave C.J. Board a drop. Okay? It was a tough one, but I gave him a drop because Daniel Jones gave him a legitimate chance to make a play, and he didn't do it. And that's the difference between NFL teams right now, even some of the teams that the Giants have played, the Niners, for example. You know, people are wondering, well, how is it that the Niners played at a high level? Well, part of it was the lack of execution for the Giants. The other part was... When Kyle Shanahan called up a guy like Ross Dwelly, he made plays. So when you miss Jordan Reed, you don't miss a beat because the next guy makes plays. You make plays for your quarterback. Same thing with the running backs. Philadelphia. Philadelphia coincidentally beat San Francisco on Sunday Night Football. They lost Paul everybody for Carson Wentz. They were down Jalen Rager, Deshaun Jackson, you name it. Fulgham of all guys, okay? Nobody recognizes that name. Catches a huge pass down the sideline for Carson Wentz, which was a big turning point play. That's the difference in the NFL. It's when your name is called, you make the play for the quarterback. And that's why teams can overcome the injury bug and others can't. It's really not that complicated. Well, that's and we why they talk examples about right now across the league. They talk about receivers having a large catch radius. Or, you know, quarterbacks having to throw the ball into his box. Well, that's what I'm talking about with Austin Mack. Austin Mack is really, really good at that. And I think he could excel in that area probably better than the Giants' current crop of receivers. That's not to say overall that he's got more skills than those other guys, but that particular trait, I think it's something that he specializes at. At least that's what I saw from the tape at Ohio State. So that is going to wrap up Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We appreciate everybody for tuning in. Presented by New York Lottery. Get out there and play. As a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app. Podcast platforms everywhere and at Giants.com slash podcast. We will be back up and running again for Wednesday's edition at noon Eastern as we'll continue to break down the ins and outs of the Giants as well as look ahead a little bit more in greater detail to the Dallas Cowboys matchup this coming Sunday. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. Thanks to Pearson for his assistance. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. We'll speak to you on Wednesday. Have a good one.